I think it's no surprise to this audience that in order for AI to work and be useful, we need quality machine readable data. Welcome to DataShare, a podcast from the Data Foundation that invites listeners to learn from top experts about government data policies and explore ideas on how our government can move towards better, more accessible data to serve society. I'm your host, Karina Turbis, Policy Director at the Data Foundation. We're back for part two of our RegTech 2021 event sponsored by DFIN. As a reminder, we hosted two fireside chats with senior level government officials about the use of AI in regulatory technologies. On episode two of DataShare, we heard from Dr. Henry Kautz of the National Science Foundation, who offered his thoughts on challenges that existed across the federal government. And today we're hearing from Mike Willis, Associate Director in the Division of Economic and Risk Analysis at the Securities and Exchange Commission about the use of AI at the SEC. Preeti Prakash, Vice President of Business Development from eBrevia, a DFIN company, spoke with Mike. Please enjoy the highlights. First, let me um, get the SEC disclaimer out of the way. So the Securities and Exchange Commission disclaims responsibility or any private publication or statement by any SEC employee or commissioner. So these are my comments, and they do not necessarily reflect those of the commission, the commissioners, or other members of the staff. Okay? So that said, we've taken steps to make certain registrant disclosures more accessible and immediately reusable by investors, by analysts, by registrants, by academics, and other market participants, including the SEC staff. And the reason we did this is we noticed that well over 97% of the Edgar visitors were under the age of 10. So that's why we did it. I hear that right, Mike. Can you say that again? (laughs) So I said that uh, over 97% of the Edgar visitors are under the age of 10. Now, am I suggesting that children are the primary Edgar visitors? No, I'm not. not, That's not what I said. They're under the age of 10 because they're machines. So machines are the primary visitors, not humans. And so to that end, we've advocated the use of open machine-readable standards provide these market participants, which are machines, with highly structured machine-readable data. In other words, disclosures that are AI-ready. Now, the role of AI within the SEC today is largely focused on the enhancement of effectiveness of staff analytical procedures. So things like text analytics, tonality assessments, uh, interpretive analysis to identify areas of higher or lower risk disclosures, and many others that we can talk about in a minute. But that's, that's a pretty good background for you. Thanks. Yeah, really helpful. So I guess given that background, what do you see as the role of using AI for assessing particularly risk from a regulatory perspective? And if you can just talk to kind of some of the advantages, disadvantages, I think the audience would like to hear that as well. Certainly. So as I mentioned, it's really around right now enhancing the effectiveness of staff analytical processes, including those related to risk assessments. So as many of the audience members may know, one of the initial steps in using AI And assessing risk is to structure the disclosures so that the engines, the analytical algorithms, can process that information. And that highlights the importance of accurate and complete structured disclosures. So for many, but not all disclosures, the registrants are responsible for providing their disclosures in a structured, high-quality, machine-readable format. So the quality of that data is an early tell on risk. And the highly structured nature enables the applications, the timely application, of various AI and ML processes to that structured data stream. So just to give you some examples of how we're currently using AI, first of all, would be any type of risk assessment. It's to provide an an area for potential and further investigation. So it's more of a heat map rather than a treasure map. 
It's not like, here's the exact issue. It's more like a human being should come in and look in this area. So switching gears a little bit and touching a little bit upon what you had just said, I think it's no surprise to this audience that in order for AI to work and be useful, we need quality machine-readable data. The SEC is not alone in developing reporting standards. So how should we be proceeding in terms of aligning industry and government standards for interoperability? This is a really key point. I think it's key in many ways. But to answer your question specifically for guidance, I would point directly to the Evidence-Based Policy Act that defines the term open government data asset as a public data asset that is, one, machine-readable, two, available in an open format, three, not encumbered by restrictions that would impede the use or reuse of such asset, and four, based upon an underlying open standard that is maintained by a standards organization. And so with that, it's that last point, I think, that's very relevant. In other words, and market-based standards organization, market standards as a method of aligning industry and government efforts for interoperability while also lowering compliance costs. So why shouldn't government agencies be plugging in to the supply chain standards that have been developed by supply chain participants for their own use? Why shouldn't agencies be using those same exact standards? It's a great question, and I think it's key to alignment. So that might be something like FixML or FPML or XBRL or the LEI, or the FIGI. I mean, you pick the industry open standard, that's the way to use it. And so leveraging those industry and market standards, I think, is a very useful way to drive down the compliance costs while also streamlining the validation and analysis of the data, including for AI and ML purposes. My last question to you here is, what's the biggest roadblock to more AI applications at the SEC? It seems like some of the approaches that are already in use in the private sector that could benefit a regulatory agency haven't happened yet. So where should we be heading or pushing to make real progress? Yeah, I think this is a, a key point. It's really about you know change management. So I don't really receive there a roadblock specifically on the use of AI. I think it's rather a more common set of change management considerations that are relevant to almost anything. You know, it could be anything, where the water cooler is, I don't care. But with technology and things like AI, I think it's very hard for human beings to conceptualize something they've never seen or experienced. I remember just a few years ago, I was working in Silicon Valley in the, in the 1990s, right? So Preeti, here's, here's the conversation. Preeti, HTML, really? You realize I can already link documents in Lotus Notes, right? You know that. <laughs> Buy something over the internet, you're kidding, right? That's never going to happen. Come on. But that was people's perception in Silicon Valley in the 90s about HTML, which is laughable today, but that's how people in Silicon Valley, many people thought about it. And so if you kind of walk down the change management path for a useful approach to any change, including AI, and specifically for AI, here's a couple of thoughts I would have. So first, Ensure that you have, you know, qualified, talented professionals that you're working with and not somebody who's just been blessed and said they're all of a sudden data scientists. In that regard, I'm blessed to work with uh, some data scientists at the commission. Marco Enriquez leads our data science team in DIRA, and he has a highly skilled team of data scientists. So first is make sure you got super qualified professionals. Second, highlight the types of business problems that AI addresses to ensure that the business teams understand the scope of the opportunities. And this is really where the sweet spot can be placed on a business problem rather than trying to solve every single problem in the bell curve, including those at the very end of the bell curve. So try to focus on the sweet spot and make sure the business people understand that problem that they have 
that you're trying to solve for them. I think it's also in that same context is to start with a problem that is around augmenting existing processes. In other words, not that AI is going to be able to solve the problem for everything, but how can we actually help them with their existing processes and not to replace them? So it's more of a supplemental idea, not a replacement idea. Next would be to show them use case examples. And in the use case example, really to highlight the what's in it for me notion, targeting that specific problem that has been identified by the business team. Once you've done that, highlight that proposed solution and to show how it's relevant and stick to the target problem. Don't let the scope creep kill the project. Really stick to that narrow solution, deliver it, show them how it works, and then go from there. I did mention data scientists as the number one thing, and I think expanding those resources and skills is a critical idea as part of making it successful. And I think in terms of infrastructure, migration to the cloud is really something that changes the computing paradigm. So transitioning to the cloud as part of the data science and AI process really begins to enable a whole different set of capabilities in terms of computing. And the way we're thinking about it right now is really considering AI and ML as a service. Many common problems exist, and once you've developed the solutions, you can deliver them in many areas, so as to begin to break down some of those silos that Henry mentioned earlier, but I think that's a key idea. And maybe just to wrap up and kind of tie it back into something that Henry mentioned was the idea of infrastructure. And so as a student of history, if we go back in time 100 years, a little bit more, and look at the Fortune 500, Every single Fortune 500 company had a title for an individual in the organization, and that title was the vice chairman of electricity. <laughs> the vice chairman of electricity, which is ridiculous today, okay? So today we have the chief data officer, which is the same kind of idea. And to me, the primary job of the chief data officer is to turn the data into infrastructure, which is what Nick pointed to. And that's certainly how I think about it, is data as a service, and to do that, just like electricity, it has to be standardized, it has to be machine readable, and that AI process then is another service that comes right along with it. So that's, I think, some of the key steps in terms of implementation and how I think about these projects. To hear the whole conversation, see the links in this episode's show notes. We hope you enjoyed this portion of our RegTech event. We will have more RegTech episodes later in the year discussing ESG, government's role enabling successful environmental, social, and governance data. As always, please rate and review us where you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to tell a friend or colleague about the DataShare podcast.